Okay, friend, people ask me and DM me all the time, Danny, how did you get started in private practice? How did you know what forms to fill out? How did you know what businessy things to get? And honestly, y'all, my answer is the same every time. The start your private practice program with Jenna Castor-Casbon and all of the amazing mentors was 100% part of my success in starting my private practice in the middle of a global pandemic. Yes, you heard your girl correctly. Jenna and the mentors literally take you step-by-step through starting your business, starting your private practice, making sure you got all of your quack quack ducks in a row. In addition to a private Facebook group where there's mentors and just people coming around and loving each other and supporting each other through their journey. I love this program and respect Jenna's mission so much. Not only do I talk about it here on the podcast, like all the time, but also if you use my link in the show notes to sign up for the program, you'll get 50% off a coaching session with me. Um, I know your girl loves a good discount. So if you want to start your own private practice, quit getting stuck in the analysis paralysis and go do the dang thing and sign up for Jenna's program. And if you have any questions about the program, shoot me a DM on Instagram. I would be 100% happy to talk with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to Speech Goods, a podcast where we showcase awesome SLPs doing awesome traditional and non-traditional SLP things. Myself and the guests on this show are here to talk about the goods, the bads, and the untamable parts of ourselves and our SLP careers, and how, despite the challenges of everyday life, have just done the dang thing, loving what we do. I'm your host, Danny Augustine. I went from burnt out, dissatisfied with my SLP job, to dusting off my big girl pants, sprinkling some determination in my 20 cent coffee, and starting my own debt-free private practice. Now, I love my work and career and wouldn't trade it for anything else. It was support and wisdom from others around me that helped me refine my why. In the show, I hope you find support and wisdom of your own. Okay, buckle up because this girl's bio is going to be a great one. Today, we have the one and only Autumn Reed Henning, MS, CCC, SLP, comma, com, aka Certified Oral Facial Myologist, comma, IBCLC, aka International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. Whew, your girl needs to take a breath after saying all those letters. Autumn is fantabulous. She graduated from the University of Kentucky with a master's degree in communication disorders. She's currently appointed and in good standing as an assistant professor with the Voluntary Faculty Series in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of Kentucky College of Health Sciences. She was a founding board member of the International Consortium of Oral Ankylophrenula Professionals. Yes, I definitely had to practice that a few times to make sure I didn't mess that one up. Autumn has completed specialty continuing education in Beckman Oral Motor, Tummy Time Method, Understanding the Oral Facial Complex, and Foundations in Myofascial Release for the Neck, Voice, and Swallowing. She has experience working in the school system, early intervention, and outpatient clinics, including a nationally award-winning intensive feeding program. Autumn specializes in oral facial function and development throughout the lifespan. Autumn has been invited to speak for many prestigious conferences and organizations, including the International Association for Oral Facial Myology, a.k.a. IAOM, and the International Consortium of Oral Ankylophrenula Professionals, a.k.a. ICAP. That's way easier for me to say. Autumn also has experience presenting webinars. She has presented as a part of the Gold Learning's First Tongue Tie Symposium. She has written professional articles and has been featured on multiple podcasts. She has also trained thousands of professionals from varying fields, including yours truly. Autumn is married to Dr. Zach Henning, and they have a daughter, McKenna Henning. They reside in Greer, South Carolina, with their beloved cats. Her hobbies include travel, reading, church, and anything with her family. Okay, so let me just take a second to briefly describe all the goodies we talk about in this episode. So Autumn legitimately takes us through her whole story, how she went from working in an intensive feeding program, bringing up some ideas that she had about tongue ties, even though she was talking to therapists with way more experience than her, and how she just did the dang thing all the way through starting her private pay private practice and course creation. We talk about networking and relationship building, We even talk about pricing in her very super, super specialized niche, private pay, private practice, and taking on employees and training them in the specialty as well. Okay, that's enough from me. Let's go do this dang thing. Hello, 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 Autumn. How are you doing today? Hey, Danny. I'm great. It's Friday, so I'm excellent. (laughs) Eat. Like it's my favorite day of the week. I do like Friday Junior because it gets me excited for Friday. Friday Junior's Thursday, by the way, just in case. Oh, I was like, what? (laughs) I made this up in my own world. You know this, right? Yes. (laughs) 
That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to have you. And I'm going to ask you all the questions that I want to know about you because if everybody, you've heard her core, you've heard of her bio that's like a million pages long. She even told me I could shorten it, but I was like, no, you got them accomplishments. We're going to put it in the bio because it's awesome. And like I've, t- I've taken your course, I follow you on Instagram. I use a lot of your stuff like in my practice. Um, oh, but- Oh, oh, of course, of course. But what you're doing, this whole thing with tongue tie, and I'm going to give Autumn an opportunity to just give a brief explanation about that if you're unfamiliar with it. It's like kind of revolutionizing parts of the field and people are really starting to get on board and just the kind of mindset it takes to just be like pioneer woman, not the one that makes all the weird flowery stuff that they sell at Walmart, but like like an SLP pioneer woman. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to stop because I want you to start talking. So Autumn, tell us a little bit about like what makes you unique within like this SLP field. So think of it like a big circle, all the SLPs, and then we get smaller circles and smaller circles and smaller circles into a dot. And that's where I am. I'm the dot. I think number one, working with pediatric feeding is kind of a specialty within our field And we know that's not taught in grad school necessarily. I had like two lectures on it, maybe. And so that's where I kind of started my specialty. I call pediatric feeding my first love. So then within that, you have infant feeding. So not just like the picky feeders and, you know, children on the spectrum or older kids and solid feeding. Then you have like infant feeding. And within infant feeding, you have breastfeeding and, you know, very few SLPs really understand the difference between breastfeeding and bottles and the whole gamut that goes into breastfeeding. And then even within that, we have the tongue tie stuff and the tongue tie affects, you know, can affect anything from birth on and through development. And then I'm a lactation consultant and a certified orofacial myologist as well. So I was the first one in the world to have those three credentials, which is kind of cool. So that is sums us up as unique is having those three backgrounds and perspectives and specialty. And, you know, there are people that do feeding and do oral motor and do tongue tie, but that's who I am. That is what I do. That is all I do. And so I think that's a unique perspective. When I seek out specialists for my own health, I'm looking for someone with specialization. I want someone that has seen hundreds of people experiencing the same sort of health challenges that I am looking for help on. So that's what I would say is really unique how I got into this. And then the other thing, we are completely private pay practice and very specialized. So that's all we do is pediatric feeding and myofunctional therapy throughout the lifespan. So having a private practice and being private pay. And then with courses, I built it. I didn't go through an established company and present my courses. Like it was me from the ground up. And so I think that is pretty cool to, you know, look back and see where it came from. I tell this story that folks were giving me calls like, Hey, what's this tongue tie thing? How do you do it? What is going on with it? And I would just tell them like, Hey, this isn't a 20 minute conversation. And so I would just, I, I had success and I started writing down in this notebook by my bed, what I was doing in, in clinic and in therapy and, you know, kind of my philosophy. And that turned into a two day course. And yeah, I've been all over the country with it. And it was really the first course specifically dedicated to tongue tie for oral function professionals. So for OTs doing feeding and speech pathologists and lactation consultants and myofunctional therapists specifically focused on that. So here we are five years later and thousands of people have taken it and are implementing the model in their communities and in their practices. And it's really grown and and been pretty amazing when I take a step back and and really reflect. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. How you combined all of that into such a small nutshell. So so now- 
My question for you is, so you were working at a pediatric feeding clinic. Is that when you started discovering all this? And then can you take us through, especially like starting your private practice and then starting a private pay private practice and then starting a highly specialized private pay private practice? Yeah. So let's see. I did. And I tell this in my courses and I kind of give the background on my story, but in short, I was working at an intensive feeding program and very highly experienced SLPs and OTs, psychologists and dietitians. And there was a patient that came through that really couldn't figure out and didn't know what to do with. And I just happened to be observing and it was an infant and I didn't have any infant experience and things just weren't adding up and everything they tried to help this baby was not working. And honestly, she was headed towards a feeding tube because she was falling off her weight chart and things like that. And so I did a lot of research and I was like, gosh, what all these symptoms, what comes together and what makes sense. When this was 11, 10, 11 years ago, for a lot of people were really even aware of tongue tie and especially like the posterior tongue ties. You know, I didn't have a whole lot of like support and people to like ask or lean on and resources out there. But there was a book that I ordered supporting sucking skills and the breastfeeding infant, Kathy Watson, Jenna, and there was a good bit about tongue tie on there, especially in the baby. And so I did a deep dive online because that's where pretty much most of the information was at that time and really just researched it and tested my hypothesis. You know, it made sense. And, you know, if it looks like a duck and acts like a duck, it probably is a duck. And so that's kind of where it all started. And when the plan that I developed for this baby, you know, one of the nation's premier intensive feeding programs in the country, like where people that aren't getting help in their community come and, you know, the severe of the severe, when that worked for that baby, my eyes were kind of opened. And I was like, man, I wonder if this is affecting these other kids and children. And Then I just started opening my eyes and really looking at assessing it. And when you know what you're looking for, you know, it's much easier to see and find it, but you have to know what you're looking for and you have to know how to look for it and what things are associated with it. So that's kind of how the whole tongue tie journey started. And I was working in an intensive feeding program. It was in Indiana and we wanted to move south. And so we did. And uh, (laughs) yes, yes. So I'm originally from Kentucky and even from Kentucky to Indiana was a a change for sure. One time we had an ice storm and didn't get mail for five days. And we're like, we're done. We're done with that. We wanted to move. We were in a small area. We just didn't fit. You know, when you're looking at colleges and it looks pretty on the brochure and, you know, the people are nice and whatever, but you go there and you're just like, this isn't me. I don't feel at home here. That was kind of us. And so my sister and brother-in-law had just finished PA school and they were here in Greenville, South Carolina. And so we came down to visit and we just loved it here as far as like the culture and the weather and the amenities, like small town feeling, but big city amenities, concerts come here and, you know, lots of outdoor activities and We did not have children at that time, and we knew that we wanted to have kids. So healthcare system was important. Cost of living was important. School systems were important, things like that. So we were recruited to start a nonprofit, and we launched a very successful nonprofit here, Outpatient Pediatric Speech Therapy Clinic, and, you know, it's still doing well. However, like my interest and my specialty was going in other directions. So during that time, I developed my course. And so we had the training division of Chrysalis and I started seeing adults. And so it just didn't fit with the model of the nonprofit because a nonprofit has a board that governs the direction and the mission and the values and things like that. And as we evolve and grow as clinicians and people and, you know, life stage changes and things like that, I really wanted to do things my way and to 
kind of simplify life because I was seeing pediatrics over here and seeing adults over here and then traveling for courses. So at one point I was kind of working three jobs and it was wild and crazy. So that led to the decision to start our private practice. We saw a need in in our community for that, as far as like myofunctional issues and airway and orthodontic stuff. And it happens all the time. You know, I'd see a baby at the nonprofit and then the parent would want to be seen because they saw some of those issues throughout the lifespan with them. And it just got kind of crazy. So We launched it as chrysalis, all of our eggs in one basket, if you will. And we were all in. So my husband is our COO. And so chrysalis is a family business, literally. So yeah, that's really cool. Oh, you launched your private practice after you'd started doing your courses. Yes. Okay. So you were doing your courses. Interesting. See, this is why I wanted to chat with you. Okay. So you were doing the courses while working at the nonprofit, were you also like running the nonprofit? So my husband was the executive director there. And I was like, basically like the clinical lead there. And courses were a side hustle. Honestly, like we sat down and had a meeting with financial planner. And he was like, Look, y'all got to do more for retirement. So I wanted to do the course because I was having success and people there was no place to get training on this. There really wasn't like when I launched my course, you know, now there's like four or five other courses about ties out there. But when I started, there wasn't any. And I really felt kind of a tug and a pull and a burden to get it out there and help people and help families also really document the success I was having and, you know, help other clinicians and communities because you can make a bigger impact when you teach others then I only have so much time in the day, I can only see so many patients and you know, someone out Oregon, I can't really help them. So yes, it was kind of the side hustle. And so we were doing courses through our own business, and working at the nonprofit. And so we kept those separate, just because we had made the investment into them. It was our proprietary information and expertise. So I'm glad we did that. So moving to the private practice, we left the nonprofit in 2019, December, and launched our private practice in January 2020. Yeah. And in a sense, I was in private practice at the nonprofit, like we did everything a private practice owner would do, but we didn't get any of the benefits, right? We were employees, right? And we had the same amount of time off as other people when there was a disaster, you know, the air conditioning goes out or there's a patient issue, or we were answering calls on the Saturday. So none of the tax benefits, none of the financial rewards that a private practice would get And to a degree, our hands were tied just because a nonprofit is dictated by a board. And so we didn't get to call the shots. And so, yeah. Anyway, so we launched our private practice in January 2020. And the idea was, again, my entire family's livelihood depended on me generating revenue. So yeah, a little scary and terrifying. I call entrepreneurship exhilaratingly terrifying. That's my descriptor. And it's so true that we, our idea was like, okay, well, we can build this practice slow and course revenue will pay our bills and give us that cushion. Well, 2020 had other plans, right? Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So let me kind of walk you through that trajectory So we're very fiscally conservative and we'd rather grow organically than bite off more than we can chew. And that's just how we are to each their own. But we rented, we subleased two rooms in a CPA's office, right? Just two therapy rooms. They had like a waiting area and like community bathrooms and like a little kitchen it worked. It was great. Nice area of town, affordable rent. We felt like we could do that. And so within three weeks, my caseload was full. And your your private pay? Completely private pay. No insurance whatsoever. Yep. In three weeks, my caseload was full. We hired at seven or eight weeks. And then her caseload was pretty full, at least three-fourths full. 
and then the shutdown. So we got going. We were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This is awesome. We're growing so fast. Right. It's amazing. And then, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully, you know, because of planning and saving and stuff, we were able to keep our employee all throughout the pandemic. We did do the PPP loan that got forgiven. So that helped us pay our employee even when she wasn't really working. We did have her do non-therapy tasks and projects and things like that. So we utilized it. So if we were going to be paying her, at least we were able to get some return on that. We reopened in May. We did primarily some teletherapy for those few weeks during the height of everything and when no one knew what happening. And we returned in May and like everybody wanted to come back. Everybody. I mean, it's insane. So navigating all the you know temperature checks and mask and screening programs and, and things like that was interesting. And when you're a private practice owner, it's all on you. Like you are your practice and you're liable for that. And it's kind of jealous of some of like the bigger corporations, like, mm-hmm. oh, you work at the hospital. They just tell you what you do. You don't have to make any decisions. So yeah, that was interesting, but I do like the freedom of being able to make those decisions and, and policies and things like that. So we got back into it, both completely full scheduling out and we hired our third therapist. And the big thing was we didn't have space. So we only had two rooms at that place. So we took a big risk and we built a 1500 square foot clinic. So our own space, we got to draw the plans and everything. It's been awesome. But putting that together has been a lot of work, you know, just all the furniture and the things you have to spend money on that you don't even like factor in like, oh, you need 10 trash cans for this place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like you need, how, how much is a doorknob? We don't need those. I know. I know. (laughs) And so, you know, there is a level of expectation when you're private pay of what kind of space you have and what that looks like and lots and lots of decisions to be made. And yeah, we got to draw out our own plans. We got to lay it out how we wanted. It was great. So we have been in there since January of this year. And then we just hired our fourth therapist in April. And I think that's been the most challenging part is hiring because we're hiring for fit, not as much skill because you can train skill. You can't train fit. You can't train personality. You can't train those. I mean, you can to a certain degree, but I really just want somebody that embodies the the culture that we have. So our one was local that I had known for years and worked with before. One was a couple hours away and one was from Texas. So we are full swing in our search. So anybody listening, if you want to specialize in Mayo for feeding, like please reach out honestly, because we have 60 on our waiting list right now. Six zero on our waiting list. We are booked out for evaluations until like August or September and it's not slowing down. And I mean, yeah, it's not slowing down. So we have five therapy rooms in this clinic and we just need one more therapist that will make us full. Mm -hmm. So now we're faced with, okay, do we add a location? Do we just get a bigger location? (laughs) The growth is crazy. And I think the growth is from networking. I have built a stellar team here with sleep physicians and orthodontists and pediatric dentists and other speech pathologists and OTs and craniosacral therapists and ENTs. And I think that relationship building is where it's at because they know you, they trust you, you continue to pour into them, you collaborate with them, you treatment plan together. So they send you patients. One of our orthodontists was like, Autumn, I'm breaking my wrist, writing referrals to you. (laughs) But I love that because this is someone that I have known for over five years and had met with him a couple times. And it was just kind of like, I don't know how to work together. And then it clicked. So planting that seed, watering it, coming back to the table is really important. 
Yeah, that's where we are with our private practice. Again, like not many courses happened last year. So honestly, the practice is what carried us. It was a very rewarding year. We worked less and made immensely more with a lot more freedom doing the private practice. So when everyone's searching for that work-life balance and that where we are. I'm literally just like, keep talking. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So, okay. I have to ask, how did you, because I know there's like this big thing with like imposter syndrome. I feel like that's like the the, the buzzword. I know. It's a buzzword. Yes. Like even within the, within the SLP field, like even within, I find um Rachel Rogers book, she talks about it a lot. The one that we should all be millionaires. She talks about it a lot too. And just like mm-hmm. how it's obviously it's much more prevalent among women, how like a mm-hmm. woman won't, you know, a woman will only apply for a job if she's got 100% of the qualifications, whereas like a man will apply for the job if he's got 60%. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening. I I think people are intimidated to apply for our position. And let's be real. So on an interview recently, my husband does a lot of the interviews first. And then with me, his background is organizational effectiveness and, you know, training and development, communication systems, things like that. So what makes someone qualified for this position? And he was like, quite frankly, really, no one's qualified. Honestly, Like when you're applying to a specialty practice, where am I going to find someone who's done myofunctional therapy that is going to move across country? They probably own their own practice. You know what I mean? Yeah. And again, like more of the qualifications are more like drive and personality and interpersonal skills and critical thinking and things like that. Let's see, all three of our employees had never done myofunctional therapy ever. So two of them had never even taken a course. Hmm. And one calm now, right? Didn't one of your employees get her calm? She did. Yeah. And I think it's a huge testament. Like I said, we've got this huge demand and I was feeling like, oh my gosh, we need to get somebody in here to meet this demand. And we hadn't found the right fit. And I had an email. This just happened yesterday. It was from one of our patients. We see the mom and then we see the two kids. And she wrote to me, just thank you for creating such a competent and stellar team because of schedule changes and stuff like that. She has seen all of our therapists at one point in time or one of her kids have. And she was like, I just wanted to compliment you on that because that is no easy task. And that was like a sign to me, like, Autumn, you're doing the right thing. You're waiting to hire the right person instead of just getting a body there. And that's true. Like, I think you'll pay for it later. And it's important that that they fit as well as you fit for them. But back to your imposter syndrome. I don't feel I necessarily struggled with that. And maybe I did. Maybe I just pushed through. But I think I've had a good bit of adversity in my life and parent death early on, a chronic illness, you know, a lot of things. I think that's definitely like played a role and prepared me for the difficulties in business and building a successful training company and private practice. There's plenty of times where I'm like, do I know what I'm doing? Right? We all think that that's why it's called clinical practice. Okay. You are practicing like you have to like, figure it out. But to that patient, like say I have a mom and baby in front of me and mom's crying and worried and distraught and whatever. I may not know exactly which way it's going to go and what I'm going to do, but I have to pull it together for her. I have to put on the brave face and say, okay, here's our plan. This is what we're going to do. This is what I'm looking for. This is where I hope this is going to take us. I think stepping back and working on yourself and your mindset is important. I think just women in general, and this may be a a stereotype, but I do see it like territorial and, you know, want to like protect everything and cut people down. And I kind of practice in that, like, hey, different strokes for different folks. And there's plenty abundance mindset. There's plenty of patience to go around. And honestly, like I may not be the right fit for everybody. So if there's another option, great, good. That patient gets served. And I think when you're confident about that, I think that's attractive. And 
that is a secret to success. I went to my ENT's office just this week and he asked me, he was like, Hey, this other speech therapist reached out and talked to me and whatever. And she has actually been to my course and she's local. And he was like, she said that she's trying to do what you're doing and specialize and do this and that and the other. And he was like, are you worried about her? And I was like, no, I was like, I am my own secret sauce. Like you can take all the trainings that I have. You can get all the letters. You can do all the things, but you'll never be me and I'll never be you. We're different people. And just having that mindset and that confidence helps things roll off your back much easier. And you're happier. You're a happier person. Because if I'm worried about her, I'm not focusing on my practice and my employees and our growth and just steals your energy and your joy. I absolutely love that. Even what you said earlier, like to have enough confidence to know that this may not be the right fit. Like I might not be the right fit for this patient right? or to know, like, maybe I do need to refer out or what, whatever it is like to know yourself and to know what you do and to feel confident what you do. That's where that scarcity mindset comes from is that if you're not really like solid and like you and like yourself and your stuff, of course, like anytime there's something like that pulls at you this way or pulls at you this way, like you're going to wobble. It's kind of like the, you know, a foundation built on sand. Like anything that comes is going to make you move. And, and it is very, very stressful. It's very stressful because even what you said, like, are you worried about her? Like if you were worried about her, that's your livelihood. Right. I get why practitioners, like I do not feel that way, but I get why practitioners can lean towards that just because it's your livelihood. Like that's how I'm feeding my children, blah, blah, blah. So it definitely, but you're right. Like it definitely takes working on you. And that's what I even say, like with money, like if you got like a bunch of just like crap, like up in your soul that you need to deal with, all these other things are symptoms of you just got to deal with you. And, you know, I mentioned like some of that adversity and life experiences that I've had, like exactly what you said, deal with that baggage, deal with that. Our mindset comes from our experience. It may come from our upbringing. It may come from cultural and societal influences. And I think successful people go against the grain. I think they don't succumb to that. They have their own path and you have to be strong to do that. And sometimes you find yourself kind of going back into that. Sometimes there is like a knee jerk reaction of I need to be more like that, or I need to uh, worry about this or whatnot. But being able to work through adversity is a skill set, like it doesn't just happen. You have to be willing to invest in yourself and take the time and effort and energy to reflect. And you mentioned like the comparing thing, like comparing to, cause it's our natural humanness to compare because okay. it's like, you want a measuring stick, right? Like, yes. okay. Yes. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know for us as speech therapists, like even when I find myself doing that, it's coming from a place that I really want to do right by my patient. It's coming yeah. from that place as well. And that's what I find so fascinating about you, Autumn, is that there was nobody doing it when you were doing it, like weren't able to compare yourself to somebody else in the field and be like, am I doing this right? But like, even going back to when you were at this intensive feeding program, you're with these people with all this experience. Were you like a recent grad or had you, I don't know how long you'd been out of school. Like, how did you come to these people with all this experience with this idea? Like, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So yes, I was the young whippersnapper. I had just finished my CF. Okay. And I didn't know anything about babies. And here I am suggesting we do this, that, and the other with this baby with an SLP that had 20 plus years of experience and NICU work and all that. And an OT with the same, right? People don't take lightly to that. And you just have to be willing to deal with the consequences. My drive to learn and my drive to help the patient sitting in front of me was greater than me getting my feelings hurt or ostracized or whatever. And it happened. There was a lot of work conflict and stuff like that after this case. And then they came to me wanting to learn, but it was kind of like a, who does she think she is? What does she know? She just, I had 10 years experience when she was in elementary school, that sort of mentality. And I'll just say like experience is only worth so much right? Because you can have 20 years of experience, but zero knowledge and skills about tongue tie. 
So when people tout, like, I have 89 years of experience and la, 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 la. I'm like, that's not the measuring stick for me. But you're exactly right. There wasn't a model that I could go after. And I had to be confident in myself and be willing to take criticism. And there's been a lot. There has been a lot. Not as much now because, hey, I've kind of made it. I created this platform and I'm out there and it's successful So obviously you must be doing something right. So in the meantime, it's hanging on to your cases. Proof is in the pudding. You know, people that don't believe in tongue tie or think it's a fad or a moneymaker or overdiagnosed or or whatever, tell that to this patient right here that is telling you their life has changed. Their life is better. People can't argue with that. You know, it's, it's really hard to, to refute that. And so That's kind of what I hung on to was just Dr. So-and-so, I don't care. Like you can have your opinion and I'm telling you, this is my experience and my opinion. And we are both hopefully working towards this patient's health. This patient got better. This was their journey. This is what we did. What what are you going to say about that? And I think just being open to it. And I'll tell you a lot of haters, if you will, have totally like done a 180, like flip the switch. And what changes their mind is not, here's a stack of research for you that never changes anyone's mind. That's basically trying to prove them wrong. But when you have a patient that is theirs, that they're invested in, that's a mutual patient and they come back to them and say, Hey, I saw autumn and we did this. And you know, these are the things that changed and improved that is what helps them because they're just trying to help patients too. So yeah, it's kind of a whirlwind when I think back to it, like you're asking some good questions, like how did this begin? And what was the <laughs> process? And it's kind of like that frozen two song. Um, you may not see that you may not see the ending, but you do the next right thing. Like you just take that next step. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I, I, I really thought you were about to do that. What is that? The, ah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> but what you said was way better. <laughs> yes. Do the next right thing. Yep. Yep. And just keeping that barometer on, okay, what is my motivator for doing this? You know, and my motivator was helping people and the fact that I can make money and do what I love and help people at the same time is amazing. Someone asked me recently, like, would you stop working if you just had a hundred million dollars in the bank? And my answer was no, because I love what I do. Would I work less? Yeah, probably. (laughs) But truthfully, when you love what you do and you're committed and worked on your mindset and yourself, unlimited possibilities. And that's just like such a healthy way to look at everything. And you just make it sound so easy. And everybody listening out there is probably like, she's just making it sound like she just did the dang thing. Like, okay, sure. But even, I mean, a lot of what you've done, there are so many speech therapists who dream of things like that, who are Mm -hmm. terrified to do it. Like, and I, you know, you sustained a private pay, private practice during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Like, how, and I get a lot of private pay and that's actually, I got a few questions for you. So I'll, I'll throw yeah. some of them at you now. Have you ever been tempted or like sort of felt this like, Oh, I need to take insurance. And how do you just like, you know, you, this is my rate on private pay, yeah. especially when bringing on, cause I've gotten this question to bringing on new employees. They're not trained yet. Obviously you're going to train them. But to still, you know, you're still charging your, you know, your Mm -hmm. value based. Cause I know you probably, you're not doing time-based, you're doing a value-based pricing. Like this is the value of my service. Right. Um, So tell us about that. Yeah. I think it's important to kind of like, if you are private pay as the owner to kind of get your employees comfortable with that. You know, most people have come from like a clinic or a hospital or whatever that, takes insurance and they're not used to even thinking about money as a business. And so I think that's important to, you know, kind of clue them in on some of those things. The other day, I was so proud. One of my employees was like, I had the hard talk with this patient about um, attendance because, you know, you're still paying me even if they don't come. 
And I do, I pay my employees, even if they have a cancellation or a no show. Number one, it's, it's important for the therapeutic process to move forward, to have that continuity and that consistency. But I was like, wow, that is so awesome that she even thinks of that. She sees that, Hey, I'm still getting paid. Autumn is still paying me, even though money is not coming in during that hour. And so I think, you know, having a healthy transparency, obviously my employees don't know all the ins and outs of our finances and practice, but they know our rates. Like I'm not hiding that from them. You know, people ask, and I think it's important for them to own it too. And for their self-worth, we don't charge different rates like, oh, for autumn charges this much. And for this newer person charges this much. I don't want that because I don't want this to be the autumn show. I don't want this to be the autumn practice. That's why that email meant so much to me. Like, oh my gosh, we've seen all your therapists and have been so thrilled and happy. And I don't want to put that out there that, hey, this person is better than this person clinically. So I think that's one thing and getting comfortable with making money. And you know what? People want our skill, our service. And I think we get caught up in the insurance world and game. Sometimes private pay is cheaper than insurance because of deductibles, because of denials, because of whatever. And I think that's the first thing is getting comfortable with that mindset and knowing that you're worth it and not second guessing that. And we really focus on, so we do mentoring twice a week for an hour, like it's built into their schedule and We talk through cases and something I do, you know, we're chrysalis, so butterflies, right? We do flutters. So flutters are kind of like snaps, like, hey, I noticed XYZ with you this week, or you went out of your way to help a patient, or there was some, some sort of success. And I think constantly reinforcing that idea that, hey, you know what? People are paying out of pocket. You know, some of our families, like, Honestly, you come see us every week for a month and that's car payment. Mm -hmm. And then we not only just see one patient, one family, we have three, three of them, three every week. That's a mortgage payment, right? And you have to be okay with that. You have to be comfortable with that. And I think making decisions on health based on insurance needs to go bye-bye because when I refer somebody I refer them to the person that has the skill set to take care of their issue or whatever. I don't say, well, they're not in your insurance network, blah, blah, blah. That's not my business, right? There are people that truly can't, and there are people that cannot afford it truthfully. And there are people that don't want to afford it. And a chiropractor, I'll never forget this, told me people beg for what they need, but they buy what they want. And it'll burn, right? burn. The thing is to be able to give, you have to be able to be financially sustainable and make money. And I don't feel bad about making money because it helps me provide for my family. It gives my employees jobs and benefits and, and work that they want to do. It helps patients. And you know what, now that I'm in charge of the finances and stuff, I can give back. The more that I generate in revenue, the more I can give back. And so you have to look at it that way. And it's a mindset shift. It really is because we're supposed to be helping and feel sorry for everybody and give things away. And that's not how I got to where I am. No one gave me anything. You know what I mean? Like, yes, there are people that helped me, but I spent the time, money and effort to advance. And yeah, that's definitely worth something. Yeah. And I think that's a good point you made. And I encourage other people whenever they ask me about like payment or anything, you know, think about like what it has taken for you to have the knowledge that you have. So like when people come to you, even, and this Mm -hmm. is my husband works in heating and air. Okay. He can like fiddle with electric things. I don't really do that. We, we gonna get a, a little crispy Danny if I do, but I mean, and his, like he works for a company that that is, they are like the, I guess, probably like the Chris of the AC and heating world, but they charge top dollar prices. 
no matter the same thing, no matter if it's a brand new tech or if it's a veteran tech who's been doing this right. for 20 years. And the idea is you're not paying me for the 30 minutes I'm here. You right. Because it might be a $700 bill and the customer's like, well, you only here for 15 minutes. How is that $700? The you're skill not paying it, the address your yes. issue. Yep. Yes. You're not paying yep. me for the 30 minutes. You're paying me for the, for the years that it took mm-hmm. me to get to that skill level to be able to do that job in 15 minutes. Right. Right. That's what you're paying for. Well, the other thing you mentioned, like heating and air. All right. Does the heating and air person worry about, I mean, here's your bill. I provided mm-hmm. you a service. Here's your bill. When you go to the doctor, do they flinch about taking payment? Nope. They say, okay, today is going to be this amount, mm-hmm. right? I think like just being in helping profession and being for others, being an employee versus an employer mindset mm-hmm. is very different. Well, and, you know, I think it's rampant in the SLP world too, girl. And I'm sure this happens to you. The amount of like three paragraphs of I have a patient that blah, 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 blah. And they tell me their life story. What do I do about it? I'm like, okay, first, like this is an hour of my time to read and unpack this. And second, like, I can't really tell you over a DM how to treat a patient. I need way more information, like a lot of more of dialogue and background. And it's funny when I say like, Hey, you know, I'm happy to answer like a direct, like that has an answer question, but like coaching and mentoring, that is time out of my day. Like, and it's amazing how many SLPs you say, or OTs or lactation or whoever you say, Hey, you know, this really is a consulting level request and would take a good bit of time to address. And you say, Hey, here's my consulting link or fee or whatever. It's amazing how many, you know, will go and pay for it. Yeah. So stuff like that is, is important too. like understanding the value and boundaries and, and things like that. Yes. Which I know you've been on boundaries recently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's like you value your time. So I went into your course a couple months ago and I was like telling everybody, I was like, she's finally coming. She's finally coming to New Orleans. Like I had like, one of my old CS there, she brought her up her boss. Like I was like, Aww. everybody needs to come, come take this course. Cause I'm in that same mindset too, of like, I don't want to be one of the few people in the area that know about, there's a lot of people in this area that know about tongue tie, but like, I was like, everyone should, even if you don't want to specialize in it, everyone should at least be knowledgeable about it. Yeah. Um, and collaborate with a lot. I told her about the course and she said, she was like, Oh, I just, I don't understand why these courses are so expensive. I was I actually said, I said, I said, it's really not. And I said, what do you think is a good price for something like for right. her to this amount of expertise? I said, usually when people are creating courses, I mean, it takes a lot. They've probably paid a lot of money to get the knowledge that they have. And they've taken a lot of time to put together this course for you. Plus the expenses of renting out a space, like they provide coffee and snacks. You know, people get cranky when you don't provide coffee and snacks, but you had good snacks at your play, at your training. <laughs> um, I was like, those are all things that are factored into that cost. I said, honestly, it's really not that expensive for two. That's pretty run of the mill for a two day, two day course, whether or not you're comparing to what other things cost, like it's, it's the value of the course, the amount that goes into a course, like the practicality side of it flying people in food and then the knowledge side of it. I mean, you have Mm -hmm. to, you know, when you say like, oh, this is expensive. Like, what are you saying makes it expensive? Like Mm -hmm. you have to take this into account. Like people aren't just going to give away their expertise for free. Right. Like you don't expect as a therapist to work for free. Right. So you shouldn't expect like people that are putting out content and courses to give it away for free. Like, I mean, this is their livelihood. Like you do therapy to pay for your kids, you know, to be able to put food on the table. Well, yeah. this is part of their income to put food in their kids' mouths and things like that. An interesting conversation insofar as like paying for stuff. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that money mindset mentality, because they're only thinking about their side of it. They're only yes. thinking about like, oh, I have to pay this to, to get this. They did not think about what you said. And you're absolutely right. Like, When people say that, I'm like, okay, well, like when I priced it, I looked at other courses that two day live courses, and I looked at them across the board and kind of priced it based on that, you know, market research. You're an expert in that area. Like when I take courses, like I gladly pay for the course because I know I'm getting 
the value from the core (laughs) to me. And that's a thing that everybody has to decide. Like, do you feel this course is going to give you that value? If you don't, then don't take it. Then don't go. Um, Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, like you talk about, like budget for it, plan for it. You know, if you work for somebody and they give you a thousand dollar CEUs, like, okay, you have to prioritize what you're going to take. Yeah. Because that's what I do too. If I perceive it as expensive for the value that I think I'm going to get from it, then I'm not going to take it. People need to understand, people need to really understand the value of things. And I think, especially when it comes to like healthcare, I think yeah. we, that's why like that private pay question is very interesting. We have this oh, interesting yes. sense of value in we that. We can talk about that. Yeah. Someone asked how to set your price, right? Mm. Yes. Like geographic location, sliding yeah. scale. Yes. But like, I mean, where I worked, I, I knew the prices there. And I knew the prices at the hospital system and just in general, like what other practices are charging. I think that's important. And then there's a tool, it's fairhealthconsumer.org. And it's meant for people that to estimate their medical costs. Like you put in the zip code, you put in in network or out of network. And the CPT code, all right? So like for, for swallowing eval, 92610, right? And it tells you what the average around your area, usual, reasonable, and customary is. And so that was kind of a good barometer to figure out what was too much, what was too little, things like that. There you go. And then, you know, looking at just your overhead, like, what are you paying your therapist? What your supplies are monthly? What your rent is monthly? Factoring in that cancellation rate. We always do budgets off like 75% attendance just to have that cushion. So we're not like freaking out, accounting for inflation, accounting for non-revenue generating employees. So admin, they don't per se make you money, but they do free up your time to allow you to get other things done and maybe other projects that will make you money. So yeah, I think those things are important to look at. You know, the hospital system here is like 50 more dollars for an eval. And they're just doing general like speech and language, right? And so we're cheaper than they are for a very specialized cutting edge level eval. So I definitely feel like the values there, I definitely feel like we could raise our prices again. Just there's a lot that goes into that and the timing and whatnot. Yeah, there you go. I want to make sure we get on your cocoon because I'm excited. I want to hear about it. But I do think therapists were so used to people who don't work for themselves and non like people who don't have their own private practice. We're so, which I think is that makes complete sense when you say that you kind of help you tell your therapist your pricing, you help Mm -hmm. give them that ownership of that. Because we typically have a middleman. We there's typically the, I provide the front desk handles that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's always a middleman. There's somebody else collecting the fees. Somebody mm-hmm. else talking about the money side. But like, I think people don't understand. Like, yes, if you want to get paid, they have to pay their bill. Like, this money that pays you does not just come out of, you know, the money. The air. Correct. Yes. And yes. guess what? To give therapists a raise and to buy like specialty supplies that they want to help their patients, patients have to show up and they have to pay their bills. I think people that have been contractors get this a lot more just because, hey, when a patient shows up, I get paid. When they don't, I don't get anything. So they kind of get that a little more than employees that are paid no matter what. And, you know, in our practice, if your patient doesn't come or cancels or whatever, we want to fill that time with patient care and generate revenue. But B, sometimes that just doesn't happen. We have a list of things that need to do to move the practice forward, whether it's organizing supplies in the kitchen or running a referral pad to a doctor's office or something like that. Or there are tons of projects that we have on a whiteboard. So my employees know like, hey, I have free time and cancellations. I'm all caught up on my paperwork. Okay, I can go to this whiteboard and I can find something to do. That's smart. That's really smart. And like, I've seen it like on a Facebook group, but like you're not overworking your employees too and 
shoving yeah. all these kids. And I think that was part of like, when I worked at private practice and I've worked at other private practices, I felt like I, as an employee, it was like, when I got a cancellation, it was like, Oh, thank goodness. Like I can finally have time to write my evals. I could finally, I could finally have time to, you know, still doing work, but it was almost like, I know I didn't make that connection, but it felt because it felt like I was so rushed all the time, yeah. all the time. The only time like we would get a staff meeting was we had to take like our lunch break to have the yeah. staff meeting. The lunch should be provided, but like, like it should, but it was still. just go. Yes. Like it was just this go, 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 yeah. go, 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 and, get, get, see the kid. And I think that's why therapist own practices are really important to have because they know what that's like. We do 45 minute sessions on the hour and 15 minutes between. So they have time to, to go to the bathroom. They can go outside and get fresh air. They can make a phone call that you know, they needed to make, they write their soap note, whatever. And our emails are an hour and a half. And then we have 30 minute block for writing. Our staff meetings, mentoring meetings are part of their regular day. So it doesn't go into their lunch. Like their lunch is, is theirs um, because they're not paid during lunch, but you know, charging enough to cover that administrative time is important. I think it's going to save, it's more expensive on the front end, but it's going to save you in the long run because you're going to have happier employees. Yep. They're not going to leave, right? They're going to work hard for you because they see you investing in them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's a two-way street. And if you go into private practice, just wanting to be the boss, I mean, you got another thing coming. <laughs> <laughs> you have sometimes <laughs> the boss is not glamorous or glitzy. Sometimes you know, we're the ones that have to deal with the not so fun things. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. that, that's what leadership is like. And I think people, you know, when you enter leadership, it's not as if like, oh, we, uh, oh, I finally made it. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to do this grunt work anymore. It's like, no, actually, like now you're doing twice the work because now you also have the well-being of all these people that are under you and you need to care about the well-being because, not that the dollar sign is the, the main goal, but I mean, that affects your, that affects your productivity, that affects your company culture, right. that affects, it's very expensive. I can't give you a raise if the money ain't coming in. Yeah. Right. So, it's not like yeah. I'm evil and I want to keep it all to myself. <laughs> right. Uh, well, and it's true. You know, a lot of businesses starting out, like people don't take a paycheck because you're paying your employees. You know, that wasn't the case for us, thankfully. But, you know, during COVID, we didn't know if that was going to be the case. Like all the the PPP money went to our employee and we just got the scraps at that point. So, you know, (laughs) now you're doing the dang thing. That's right. Yeah. So Autumn, you just launched because again, Danny is, I'm a huge space cadet. It's a serious, like, don't even ask my husband about it, but I'm good. I'm on task right now. So you just launched, so you have your tots course that is in person. You have your, Mm -hmm. you just released like the plot, the tot which is about mm-hmm. collaboration amongst the team members, like therapists, release mm-hmm. provider, all that stuff, correct? Mm-hmm. Like you have forms included that people can use, correct? Yes, okay. correct. Perfect. And then you just started, or you're about to open the Cocoon, which is like your mm-hmm. online platform. Before I finally release you, tell us a little bit about that because I want to know about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with the pandemic, there was such a push for online, online, online. And I'm a huge fan of in-person, like I thrive in the energy of in-person. I love meeting people. I love traveling. Like online is probably more financially nice because you don't have the travel expenses and things, but find there are certain things that don't translate well to online. And so I am keeping in-person courses, but I have a lot of expansion packs and special topics and course ideas that are like one to four hour courses. I'm not going to travel to Timbuktu for a four hour class, right? So yeah, we created and we were trying to think of names that went with like our branding and stuff. And so we called it the cocoon to kind of go with the butterfly theme and whatnot. And kind of like the cocoon is the place that you can incubate like be nurtured and warm and grow and learn. And so that's the name of our online platform. So we have one course through it right now already out and it's called Confidently Connecting for Collaboration. So it's kind of the secret sauce that I use. 
everyone's has trouble getting an ENT or a, a craniosacral therapist or a chiropractor or orthodontist on their team. You know, and maybe they've had some meetings with people or maybe they don't even know where to find people, but then nothing ever happens. And so that course is all about what I did, that relationship building, how I progressed, what I did on follow-up when we encountered disagreements or different philosophies of thinking. Did I just say, hey, bye-bye, go your separate way? Or how did I navigate that? So that's kind of that course. I have three or four other courses in production. One I just started filming yesterday and it's called the pre-lease paradigm. And what that means is I coined this term, it's called therapeutic readiness. And so what is needed prior to a tongue tie release? Like what markers are you looking for? What things need to be discussed and prepped for? What education and benchmarks need to be met? And so all of those things are in it. Um, So it's probably going to be about three to four hours. I don't know. We'll see when I'm done delivering it. Like the content's all done. I just have to like sit and record it. But so that one should launch probably by the end of the month. And then a few more are, are in process that aren't quite ready to record. Touch training is probably going to go online at some point. Again, you know, just like with our employees, like we'd rather do it right than just do it and do it fast. And so with the pandemic, everyone pivoted and put through everything online. Well, Touch training is very and you were there, like a lot of like dialogue and back and forth and question and answer and really make sure that translated to online before we open it up to the masses and make sure the same feel or as close to the same feel is there. And so it's taken some time and research to figure that out, but we are kind of pilot testing that. So hopefully we'll have touch training online soon. I love it. And we're just so everybody knows we're recording this on June 11th. Cause I really want to take that therapeutic readiness, like a class. I know that's like, so maybe by the time this airs, it'll be out. So go check. I'll have like, and all of that information is going to be linked in the show notes, your Instagram profile, all like course links and everything like that. Ooh, almost fell down. <laughs> This is why we're recording video. You can watch, watch me like stumble everywhere. That's um, right. But, <laughs> but all that is going to be in the show notes. Yay. So, Autumn, before I finally release you and let you go, do you have any sort of like last things that you want to say to everybody listening out there, especially just like, as you know, you kind of mentioned it earlier, like now you've made it. It's so fun to interview people that made it, but like, tell us like before you made it. Cause you know, when you make it, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. So if for anybody out there, especially someone who's maybe they have an idea or maybe they're interested in specializing or creating a course or anything like that, do you have any like final words of wisdom for them about anything? I think really sitting down and reflect and making goals. And sometimes you just got to do it. Sometimes you're never going to be ready. There is no perfect time. It's just like having children. There's no perfect time to have a kid. Sometimes you just gotta do it. Um, <laughs> That's literally, <laughs> literally all the things. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing: like this was kind of like my breakout. Touch training is our flagship course and kind of claim to fame, if you will. I pumped it up and sold the idea before I had it done. I think that helped me to get it done. And keep it accountable. So like I was on Facebook groups. I was like, hey, anyone interested in a tongue tie course, put your email down. Like, I don't know how to do all the fancy marketing stuff. So I just used what I knew. And there was a ton of emails. And like, hey, what would you like in this class? And just like hearing, use your network, use your peers. There were people that helped me get going. Other people that give courses, SLPs and stuff that I talked to and I was like, Hey, I'm about to do a course. How did you get going? I have a relationship with them. So they were willing to like sit down on the phone with me, but any of like your mentors that personally talking to them, asking them, I'm happy to help. Honestly, like people helped me. They gave me their course contract and I worked it and changed it and altered it for 
what worked for me and my business and my needs. And maybe even outside the SLP realm, same idea, just different content, how you can model that and apply it. And again, like just having that, that mindset and that confidence to just, sometimes you just got to do it. Did I know this was going to be this successful? Nope, no clue. It's kind of, did I ever think ENTs and dentists were going to come to my course? I didn't even design it for them yet. They're there. Um, So just know that like sometimes your intent, it can be bigger and better than what you even imagined. Yeah, that's my final parting notes. (laughs) Those are good notes. You get some flutters from me, Autumn. Wait, is there a hand motion that goes with the fluttering? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So if you're, if you're watching this, if you're only listening to this on audio, it's basically like the kind of like the butterfly where you cross the thumbs <laughs> and do the butterfly. <laughs> you get in flutters for that. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantabulous. Oh, it makes us fantastic and fabulous. That's what it is. I like yeah, had to think about that for a second. I was like, hold on. Uh, but thank you so much. Everything that Autumn talked about, the links, like the fairhealthconsumer.org, all of that is going to be available in the show notes. So go check those out and go follow her at Chrysalis Oral Facial One on when? Instagram, right? She's always posting funny reels. And I, I can like, I can imagine you just like sitting in your office, like filming <laughs> and fluttering. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is basically it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Danny, for, for just being you and, and putting this out there. And I think your mindset and budgeting and and money and those things are so needed in this field and just being transparent and having those open conversations. is really important. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. I love it. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll chat. (laughs) All right, girl. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to hear more no fluff, getting the dang thing done stuff for myself and other real life SLPs, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com slash speech goods. If you found this content valuable, please share it with others so we can get this message out there. And if you haven't already, join us on Instagram. Handle is at speech goods. See you there.